Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Allison Ansaro, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Addressing vaccine hesitancy, which may take the form of refusing a vaccine or putting oneself in the wait-and-see camp while thinking it over, has never been more urgent. As health authorities race to try and vaccinate as much of the population as possible this year against the virus that causes COVID-19. On this episode of Managed Carecast, Dr. Pat Salber of The Doctor Ways In discusses education for patients on the topic of vaccine hesitancy and COVID-19. Her guest is Eve Gauss, who directs the development of interactive, people-centered multimedia programs for Walters Kluwer Health. The programs are used by healthcare systems to address questions raised by patients about the vaccine, how they were approved, how they work, and more. So this is Pat Salber, and I'm really excited about today's podcast for the American Journal of Managed Care, because we're going to talk about an issue from a different angle, but an issue that we've all been hearing about, and that's vaccine hesitancy. And this is coming front and center now that, hey, there's going to be a lot of vaccines. We want to be sure all that vaccine gets into people's arms. Um, And vaccine hesitancy is really people refusing to take the vaccine when offered. And unfortunately, um, there are a fair number of people who are indicating that they're going to refuse. So so that's what we want to talk about today. And instead of focusing on the reasons of which there are many, uh, you know, institutional racism, historical medical mistreatment, uh, let's not forget the myths and the downright lies about the um, uh, about the vaccine that are being perpetuated in the media and social media. So those are all, those are, you know, there's many reasons why people may not want to get it, but that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about is how do you design a program or an effort to counter that vaccine hesitancy in a way that will actually result in a change in attitude and hopefully um, action. And I just have to say, as an aside, I've been working in the field of um, behavior change for a long time, you know, from the clinical side. And I got to tell you that the field of behavior change in medicine is littered with failures. So clearly we need to try something new. And that's why I'm excited to talk to Eve Gauss, who's our guest today. Welcome, Eve. Hello. So um, Eve is uh, the editorial director at Walters Kluwer Health. Did I say it right? I know every time I, <laughs> I struggle with Walters Kluwer. It's a tough one, but you got it. You nailed it. Perfect. Oh, good. Right. <laughs> and um, her expertise and driving force are really transforming complicated knowledge into actionable information. So just what we said we need is how do you have a message, but a message that actually gets people to do something differently. She has a um, Master of Science in uh, Library of Information Science. And most interestingly, before she came to Walters Kluwer Health, she oversaw digital learning at the Field Museum, which I've been to. Um, and it's the fourth, fourth largest natural history museum in the world. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit towards the end. So at um, Walters Kluwer Health, Uh, Eve is at the helm of a massive design process to overhaul patient education and outreach uh, by hospitals. And we're going to discuss what needs to be taken 
into into consideration. What what do you need to think about when you're trying to craft an effective communication that will make people feel comfortable in taking the desired action? So Eve, I thought we'd start by having you tell us a little bit about the area of Welters Kluwer that you're working in, and then in and then specifically talk about the work you're doing with these multimedia programs that are being developed. Fill us in on what's going on over there. Sure. Uh, so I work um, in a part of Walters Kluwer that's called Emmy Solutions. And what Emmy Solutions really specializes in is creating multimedia learning for patient, uh, patient engagement. So really developing a, a variety of different programs to help patients understand their body and their current medical situation that they're in, whether it's learning how to manage a chronic condition like diabetes or it's helping them prepare for a surgery and what to expect for the surgery and what to expect after the surgical recovery. And then also wellness. So we've been focusing recently on mental health wellness, you know, as we're um, all, you know, working our way through this pandemic, just making sure that we have good, good uh, medically evidence-based resources to kind of help us cope with the stresses that we're all living under. Um, but most recently, as you were talking about before, We've been really focusing on vaccines um, and specifically the COVID-19 vaccine that has just been coming out um, as well as um, another program that we're working on that just talks more generally about vaccines. And so, you know, we, we really decided to focus on COVID-19 vaccines, of course, you know, not only because this is a huge issue, um, you know, of, of getting the entire country vaccinated for those who choose to be vaccinated, but also really looking at you know, why might people be choosing not to be vaccinated? And what are some of those issues that might be causing their hesitancy or their reluctance to kind of take that step to get vaccinated? And looking at how could we address those fears, those concerns, those apprehensions that people carry with them to help move people from a stage of maybe contemplation into taking action. Great. So. Um... <clears throat> Can you give me a, an example of a few of the programs that you've developed? Yeah, so we are just they, released. Are, are the, any of the COVID ones, are they done or are they still works in progress? You anticipated what I was gonna say, yeah, so, <laughs> which is perfect. We just released our COVID-19 vaccines program this week. Um, so that actually, so this is what the fourth, so we at March 1st is when we released that program. Um, and in that program, what we really do is we look at and we, we break it out into to small sections, right? So we kind of break down a big complicated topic of vaccines and vaccine development into small, understandable, bite-sized pieces. And we do that with plain language and we do it in um, language that speaks to about a fourth, a fourth grade reading level. So really, really making this understandable for really uh, the, general, the general public audience. And in the program, we look at the vaccine development, and we dive into questions about safety and efficacy behind the vaccine. So really looking at, you know, what are clinical trials? How did the vaccines move through clinical trials? Who was involved in those clinical trials? And so really talking about, you know, informed consent um, and the, the people who were involved and how many people were involved in those trials. Um, and then looking into other issues um, such as, you know, uh, side effects that you might experience once you get the vaccine, what those side effects mean, you know, that this, that it's helping your immune system respond, that it's not you actually contracting uh, COVID-19 critically. Um, and then, you know, really looking at issues of vaccine hesitancy. And, you know, I think one of the, you know, the big areas that we're seeing with vaccine hesitancy within um, communities of color 
is what you talked about at the beginning is, you know, structural racism um, that has really permeated our, our medical system. And so looking at how do we address that, right? So we looked at, you know, focus groups that the FDA ran when they were first developing the COVID-19 vaccine. And we were, you know, the Washington Post had this beautiful article where people are saying like, this is Tuskegee all over again. Like we are not going to be a guinea pig again. And so there is a deep cultural memory of how uh, people of, of color have been mistreated by the medical community. And so part of it is acknowledging that, is acknowledging that, that, that cultural memory exists and that's important and that it influences people's actions today. And so that it's really important to show, you know, what have we done since the, the, the awfulness of Tuskegee to move the medical field forward so that when we're offering a vaccine, we know it's been vetted, we know that there's safety measures that have been in place, and we can say with confidence, it is a safe and effective vaccine. So, uh, well, that's very interesting. I wish we were, I wish we were doing a, um, a video because then you could show us your program. But yeah, we'll yeah. do that another time. Yeah. So my next question for you is, um, it's, and I think you answered it in part in, in what you just said, but what do you think are the critical elements when you try and create actionable patient education materials? If you were teaching a class on this, what, what would you tell the students? Hey, you've got to be sure you do this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. Well, so, so for our programs, we really look at the, uh, the trans-theoretical model. So looking at stages of change. So really, you know, looking at, you know, where, where is a person in their, you know, in their personal journey? Because I think the only way we help people change is really understanding for where people are starting from, right? And so with, you know, so, you know, part of that goes back to acknowledging, you know, the fears and hesitancies people are carrying with them based on, you know, their own personal experience or their community's historical experience. And it's looking at where people are at and then how do we help them move to the next phase? So really in our program, what we're looking at is we're looking at, you know, how do we move people from thinking about taking action, which we see that quite a bit, right, with the COVID-19 vaccine. We see, um, people are saying like, I wanna see more data on it. You know, I'm not ready yet, I wanna see more data. And we see this particularly, the Kaiser Family Foundation has really interesting data um, that shows, compares, you know, um, sort of uh, how interested people are in the vaccine um, in African-American communities, in Latino communities, and then in um, white communities. And what you see in that, you see in the African-American community, there is a very, it's almost double the number, amount of people, the double percentage, about 34%, um, of people surveyed say, I wanna see more data. So the question is, how do we take, how do we help move people from the, I'm gonna wait, I wanna see more data into, I've seen the data I need to see and I'm ready to take action. So really moving people from that sort of contemplation stage of thinking about taking action to that determination stage of taking action and actually scheduling their appointment. And so that's how we do it in the program of first, you know, talking about what a vaccine is, why it's so important, um, and also addressing, you know, because I think there's been a lot of conversation around um, herd immunity, right? And how about if we just get to herd immunity naturally, right? And so really talking about how vaccines help move us to herd immunity much more quickly, much more safely, and with, with much less death and suffering um, than if we were to let the, the, the virus take its natural course. So do you, there are all these stages of change and you talked about moving someone from the beginning to the, to the next step, maybe, yep. um, do you have to develop a program for, you know, if you're trying to meet me where I'm at, do you have to develop a program for me? I'm, I'm actually like, you know, in a later stage, 
um, or or do you build all all of the issues of each of the stages into one program? So I think it depends. I mean, it depends on what the program is and what we're trying to achieve in that program. And so I, I think it just, you know, right, because we talked about like there's then there's the action stage, right, of like actually taking the action, making that vaccine, and then like the maintenance stage, right, of like how do you keep doing what it is that you're doing. And, you know, at Walters Kluwer, we have a, a variety of different ways that we do that. So, you know, one way is um, of, of getting someone from, you know, the the determination stage into the action stage, and then other mechanisms that we have for that sort of continued maintenance, you know what I mean? Of how do you, if you've committed to something, you know, if we set vaccines aside for a minute and let's say that you commit to an exercise goal, right? We all, or a movement goal, right? We all have that. I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move five more minutes today than I did yesterday. You know, I, there's other ways that we have, um, you know, through, through our products to make sure that you continue, you know, check back in, how are you doing on that? How are you doing on that movement goal? Are you still doing, you still doing well? I think part of all of these goal setting though, is that it's the patient that's making the goal setting, right? It's not, it's them determining what they can do in their lives, what are reasonable steps that they can take and that they feel empowered to take. And I think that's really the critical part when we think about behavior change and we think about education, educating pa patients and, and being with them on their behavior change journey is that it's really driven by them because they're the ones who ultimately own it. We are there to just help and support them through it. Okay, so, um, and this is probably more along the lines of, of something we talked about a little bit earlier. You talked about like upfront addressing things that we know that you know from uh, research that our patients' concerns, like I want more data, you give them more data. What about these myths, you know, the idea that, that, that these things are circulating out there, that the, particularly the mRNA viruses are somehow gonna put a chip inside you or they're going to mess with your DNA. Um, do you, is it, it, is it part of your process to pull those kinds of issues out and, and address them up front, or would you be more generic in, in, in the way you dealt with issues? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good question. And it really comes down to what are the goals of the programs, right? So, you know, and I think, you know, sort of myth busting, um, is man, you could do an entire, you could do a 40 minute program alone on myth busting around vaccines, right? So, so part of it is, you know, what is, what are ultimately, ultimately, what are we trying to help people understand? Um, and through the program that we created, ultimately, what we are trying to help people understand is how vaccines work. Um, and so that's our way of, of myth busting in the program is really like, let's break down, like, what does a vaccine do? Like, what is in your immune system? What are antibodies? how do antibodies work in your, with your system and then how that helps. And then kind of shifting from sort of the, the science behind vaccines into, okay, how do you know that vaccines, vaccines are safe, particularly the COVID-19 one. And then, you know, talking about, you know, side effects and, and other concerns that people might have. So for us, when we shape this program, the one, the, the way we kind of handled the myths is just really just explaining the explaining what's going on with vaccines and just kind of taking them through the medical process of that. Um, with the one, you know, one thing that we put right up in front and center, which I think is a really important thing to know, right, is that COVID-19 vaccine will not give you COVID-19. Right? That right. is the absolute critical thing. If nothing else to know, this will not infect you with COVID-19. So that was one thing that we thought was really, really important um, and that we chose to focus on in the program. So it's multimedia. Does that mean you are incorporating print and audio and video or, 
or what do you mean when you say it's multimedia? And is there just a program or are there videos plus written material plus, I don't know, tweets or, you know, however else you want to reach people? What, What are all the components? Right, right. So multimedia. So when we talk about multimedia, we talk about sort of different, I'm using my hands to illustrate different strands that are coming together, right? So we have audio or the voice that we have from the program. We have the the written word of the program, like the the script that we talk about. Then we have the art that's animated. And so essentially when you're watching the program, all these different elements are coming in to form a complete story for you. But that's not the complete story of all the COVID-19 education that we offer. COVID-19 vaccines is is one element that we have. But, you know, we also know people have different preferences um, for how they want to consume information. So there's also leaflets that we have, quite a few patient leaflets um, that can speak, you know, the the multimedia program sort of has a a larger holistic view. And then we have leaflets that can speak to more specific audiences or more specific concerns. For instance, if you want to dive into how an mRNA uh, vaccine works, we have a leaflet that will talk about that. And, you, and this is a product that you've developed for use in hospitals, right? That's correct, and, and yes. So are, the, are these, is this, um, uh, do these cost or are they Well, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I mean, and I should say, you said in hospitals and I, was, I agreed with you. And what I meant by in hospitals is that hospital systems or physicians or clinics can issue the videos to patients. But the idea is that the videos can be viewed any place, anywhere that the patient wants to watch it. So, you know, in your home, um, you know, if you're taking the train, you can watch it on your cell phone, kind of like it's it's sort of an, um, we try to meet the patient where they're at in their environment. So I could, um, could, I, could I Google it and find it and just watch it on my own or do I need it to come from a provider? Sure, so for our COVID-19 vaccines one, that one does need to come from a provider, but we. Uh, earlier, uh, back in March of 2020, we released a video on COVID-19. So really, you know, what is COVID-19, understanding COVID-19 and practical steps you can do to keep yourself safe and healthy. And that is publicly available. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that, well that's good because, um, I mean, you have to eliminate as many barriers as possible. So if you have to make a sale to somebody so that they can then make a sale to their patients, you know, all, all those steps can create um, barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to switch gears here a little bit and, and talk to you. Um, we started out by saying that uh, vaccine hesitancy is probably greater in communities of color. Um, and, and, and so the issue comes up, what about language and culture? You know, early on in my medical career, people thought that addressing culture, say, um, say if you have Spanish-speaking patients, well, you just translated what I would have said to you <laughs> into Spanish, but we eventually figured out that that didn't really work. So how, how do you guys look at uh, language and culture, and is this program available in multiple languages? Yeah, so we, we think about language and culture very carefully, and we think that's really, that's really critical. And, you know, with our programs, we're always thinking about the patient and the audience that we're trying to reach and trying to think about their needs and, and, and their questions. So that's something that's really front and center when we when we're go through our design process. Um, we actually have an in-house team that translates all of our programs to Spanish. So they are actually, so this uh, COVID-19 vaccines program was released in both English and in Spanish. Good. Um, but beyond that, I mean, language and culture are, you know, it's, it's how, like I said, it's kind of baked into our design process. And so, it, you know, 
we kind of ask ourselves a, a variety of questions as we move through our design process. So, you know, one is like, who are we showing on screen, right? So it's really important that, you know, if you're trying to speak to me as a person that I, I'm able to see myself in the program that you're presenting to me. So we think about things like, you know, what are the a variety of skin tones that we're representing on screen? Um, a variety, you know, are we representing cross-cultural couples? Are we representing same-sex couples on the screen? So that we're really kind of showing a, a depth and breadth of, of individuals. Um, the other thing we think about really critically is language. Um, so how, you know, we know the power of words. And so really thinking about, you know, what, what are we saying through our language and, and being very careful that we're not making assumptions through our language so that we're not making assumptions on what your gender identity is through our language. Um, and that we're also being really inclusive in our language and thinking about that everyone has different, um, different abilities. And so for people who are disabled, really making sure that we're mindful of our language. So, you know, we were talking earlier about everyone has a movement goal, right? So when we're talking about movement, we're just thinking about moving your body and that people can do that in a variety of different ways. So some people might walk around the block and some people might, you know, they have a wheelchair and they'll wheel themselves around the block. And so really thinking about that so that we're inclusive of, of everyone that we're speaking to. Um, and then lastly, like we were talking about before is, um, you know, acknowledging bias. And so that's, you know, something that we put really up front and center in that COVID-19 vaccines program is just acknowledging that there is, there, there has been bias and that unfortunately continues to be bias in the healthcare system. And so just addressing that to, to acknowledge that that's something that people live with. Uh, well, that's really great to hear. I, I have heard um, a couple of people that are activists in this area talking about the importance when you're doing these messages of having both, uh, for example, in the black community, have black doctors say the word, have black mm -hmm. doctors say, this science is real, this is, you know, have your own community talk to you. Um, and I guess when you're animating, you, you, you're not having real people, but you can have, you can illustrate people uh, that might look like me. Yes, and also voice, like the voice is very important. So for our COVID-19 vaccines program, we, uh, we used uh, a voice artist who is an African-American woman. And we did that because we know that there, there's been some really interesting studies about, it's called ling linguistic congruence, where we just, we know when we are here someone of our community who's speaking to us and that we, we tend to trust that voice more when it comes from our community. And so that was a very intentional choice we made when we built the COVID-19 vaccines was that we really wanted to, you know, we wanted to address bias. We wanted to um, be very inclusive. And so it was important to us that we chose a person of color to be our voiceover artist. Now, here's what I ask everybody about every program, no matter what. Okay, so this is really cool. It sounds great. Actually, personally, I'm looking forward to seeing this, trying it out myself, although I am vaccinated. Ah, uh, congrats. All right. It's, I mean, that's it's a badge of honor here. Yeah. Um, but, but the question is, how do you measure success? Because I can watch the thing and then I go into the living room and my husband says, oh, you're not, you're not believing that stuff, are you? You know, I mean, whatever. So how, how are you tracking clicks and watches or do you have data? Well, maybe not on the COVID-19 one because it's brand new, but on any of your other, other programs um, that show that they actually moved somebody to a measurable behavior change. Yeah, so um, so we do. So we do. You know, we said earlier before that we work with hospital systems um, to you know prescribe these programs, and 
We do um, work with those hospital systems to design tangible metrics um, that they're interested for to tracking with our programs. So, so we do have data that is associated with our programs. And like just in the last year alone, we had um, 17 million patients that we interacted with. So we have really, we, we definitely have touched a lot of people. And we also do research. So we have done research studies that show how ME programs have successfully changed patient behavior. So for instance, our, our colonoscopy program is one that has research-backed studies that show how um, the program has actually helped patients um, have lower stress as they go through their colonoscopy program. And they- Program, your mm -hmm. program study. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, yep, yep. So yeah, so we definitely, as thoughtful as we are in our design process, we are also thoughtful in our research process to show that you know our, our programs do have a, a real world impact on patients. Yes, fantastic. Sounds like you have a fun job. Um, so I have one more question about the development, and that is, are you engaging patients in mm -hmm. the development of the materials? And, and if so, at what stage? Is it like at the end and I just look at it and say, yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Or you bring me in at the beginning where you're trying to learn from me, you know, kind of what issues would resonate or what approaches would resonate with me? And exactly how do you um, interact with some with, with, with patients if they're involved? Because I've, I've seen people say, well, you know, I sent out a survey and I got, you know, 10 yeses, which isn't really patient engagement. Right, right. So we, we have a variety of different phases that we work through that. So uh, we do do surveying at, at the beginning of programs and we do surveying um, in a way that we look across the country. So we're looking at different demographics, different geographic regions, different education levels so that we get uh, a broad perspective of what people think on a particular issue. Um, and that really helps inform our development process. So that helps us see, like we were talking about earlier, what myths might be coming up, what misunderstandings might be coming up, what fears might be coming up. And that helps us really design a program that addresses um, those concerns or questions that we've heard from, from people. For some of our programs too, we have also engaged focus groups where we actually, um, these are all in pre-COVID times, we already actually have uh, patients who you know, have that particular um, condition that we're writing a program on, come in and comment on the program and give us feedback from their, uh, from their lived experience and how they kind of respond to, to our program. And then last, we, we are in the process right now of beginning to build a patient advisory board. And this board uh, will, will work with us through our development and design process, much like we work with our uh, physician advisors, like our advisors at UpToDate, to really help vet the information. So, you know, our, our clinical, our medical advisors, our clinical advisors are looking at it from that medical perspective, right? So our up-to-date uh, editors are really looking, you know, are we, are we making sure our, our medical content is correct, that we are aligned with latest guidelines? And our patient advisory board is gonna be looking at it from that patient experience perspective. You know, are you really speaking to my experience? Are you addressing, um, you know, the issues that I found as I was going through this treatment process or the struggles I might have as I'm managing my chronic condition. So really lending that other perspective. So that, that is a work in progress um, that I, I am really, really excited about because I think it's just going to be a tremendous addition to our programs. Yeah, it sounds like it. So I have one last question, which may seem like a little bit of, of off topic. But I would really like to know how your work at the Field Museum, I mean, this is a museum of natural history, mm -hmm. uh, prepared you for the work that you're doing today. And, and were there any lessons that you learned from that experience, both positive or negative, that, that have helped you out and really informed the work that you're doing now? 
so at the Field Museum, so the Field Museum um, is a is an active research institution. So it has a collection of, gosh, I've, I've forgotten now, many millions of objects and specimens. When I was at the museum, I worked with teenagers and I had the unique challenge of, in, of having teenagers and getting them interested in plants and not any plant, but a single celled plant. And so if you know anything about teenagers and plants, those are not really a natural pairing. Um, and so that was a slightly challenging road to walk, but really the, you know, first of all, working with teenagers is amazing, but really what I learned from that experience is the innate curiosity that every single person carries in us. And truly anything in this world can be interesting if you find the right question to ask. So what's that compelling question? Because if you find that interest and you activate that interest in the, in the person that you're, you're speaking to, this whole world opens up and, and their curiosity starts to drive them through their learning process. So when we were working, you know, when I was working with these teenagers, you know, we didn't focus on the fact that single cellular plants, what we focused on is that these plants are in existence today and they were the first plants that evolved out of water onto land and they have survived five mass extinctions. And that's a pretty weird thing, right? Like what, what kind of magical survivor is this plant that it can do that? And I think that's the same thing when we look at education with a, with a patient who's facing a, a health situation is what is that innate curiosity? You know, what, what is it that we can activate in you that helps to allay your fears and make you curious about your situation and want to learn more? Because the more you learn and the more understanding you have, the better your experience will be because it will reduce your fear. It will help you have more informed conversations with your physician and ultimately lead to better health outcomes for you, which is ultimately what we want to have you have. Well, that was great because uh, it turns out that that probably was a perfect background for your move into this new position. <laughs> so, Eli, uh, do you have any final thoughts, any any final message that you want to leave, leave to our uh, listeners? Just to go and get your COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> when it's your turn. That's it. Yeah. Yes, when it's your turn. To read more about COVID-19 and vaccination progress, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.